This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How's it going, Chad? Uh, pretty good, but not as good as things are going for you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on the engagement. Thank you. Yeah, so we're recording on Tuesday. I got engaged um, late Sunday night, uh, around 1030. Uh, so yeah, uh, exciting stuff. Um, already somehow swamped in wedding plans, which feels <laughs> very soon, but uh, very exciting too. That's very cool. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for, happy for Nathan as well. Uh, you guys have been together for a long time, so I'm, I'm yeah, glad this yeah. is moving along. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a slight scheduling change that we made this week. Instead of covering both uh, Andy's play and Sex Ed, uh, we have decided to split those two up. Mostly, I think, because of Sex Ed. That's it's going to have some beefy stuff next week. Uh, but we got one episode to cover this week. And before we get to it, we got a couple thank yous. So let's get into that. An email from Michelle, thanks for reaching out, and a Facebook recommendation, too, from Marta and from Terrence. So thanks, guys. We always love when you reach out uh, via either social media or just send us an email and uh, say anything on your mind, just even hi. So moving into our discussion for today, we are covering Andy's play. Um, I think a special one for both Chad and I, given Mm -hmm. the content. Um, It aired October 7th, 2010 directed by Paul Lieberstein and written by Charlie Grandy. Andy is performing in a local production of Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, and the whole office is invited to the final performance. Andy is hopeful that it will be enough to make Aaron fall back in love with him and leave Gabe, Uh, but she doesn't even come because she's instead babysitting Cece so that Jim and Pam could come. Andy's obviously upset, so he must juggle both his feelings for Aaron and his onstage performance. And there's the, the basic gist. We've got some other, other goings-on happening around things. But, yeah, starting off with Andy, what do we got to say? So, yeah, he gave Aaron two comp tickets for the show, like he said on closing night. He's not super bummed when he learns that Gabe cannot come. Um, in fact, it helps <laughs> his plan even further to uh, his plan to make Aaron fall back in love with him. And then quickly the entire office reveals that they cannot go, except for Aaron. Uh, Can't go or won't go one. Jim and Pam seem to really be the only people besides Aaron that do want to go, but they can't find a babysitter. So Aaron volunteers, as you said, um, because apparently the babysitting game is pretty intense in Scranton. Um, Apparently the 13-year-olds have a monopoly, so she couldn't pass up this opportunity. Um, And Andy is, of course, distraught that that Aaron, the one person he really wanted to be there, uh, isn't going to be. But the entire office then, besides Aaron, has has decided to come. So it's the reverse of of what he really hoped for. It's interesting to me that he is waited until the final performance to seemingly invite people. Now, we don't see the whole story. The, The open starts with him saying the show opens in a couple of weeks. And then after the credits, it's now the day of the final performance. So we don't know how many, how much time has passed. We don't know how many performances this has had. I think maybe pretty typical is two or three weekends. That's what I did in community theater in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just seems weird to me that he waited until the last night, or maybe he didn't wait till the last night. Maybe it was he's been trying this whole time to get her to go, and finally, okay, this is the last chance. Here's tickets. Like you have tickets now, you can show up. 
I don't know what the case is, but it seems like waiting until the last minute is not a good idea, especially considering something else comes up. He's bummed that she can't come. Everybody else does come, though. And we've talked about how the, the, the bond of the office is so great. Here it is, the last day of the performance in the whole office, uh, minus one or two people, has come to see Andy's play. They've worked with him all day, and now they still want to spend time with him in the evening, too, which I think is pretty special, even if things aren't going exactly as well as planned. Talking about Michael for just a moment, he auditioned for this production as well and never heard back. So at the during the open, when they show up and perform the opening number for everybody, Michael's like, well, what role am I playing? <laughs> and uh, sorry, Michael, you did not get cast. Uh, but he is convinced by Andy to come, even though he doesn't want to, as sort of like a boycott of sorts. But Andy convinces him. He sees how important it is. And he does decide to come, however bitterly. Everyone is actually pretty impressed with Andy once he's in the show. As, as Pam says, it's nice to see him sing in the appropriate setting. <laughs> Even Dwight like, turns to the guy next to him and says, I work with that guy. He's a terrible salesman, but look at him here. You know, He's kind of amazed. You just see this calm smile on his face. He's just kind of in love with Andy at this moment. He's just so amazed by his beautiful you know, acting. And um, it's, it's kind of nice to see everyone appreciate Andy in the appropriate setting. This in the office is not what they love. Uh, he can be a bit much, but they really like seeing him do well on stage. That moment with Dwight is one of my favorite moments of the whole episode because yeah. we've seen this rivalry ever since Andy first came over to Scranton back in season three, and they've had their rocky points, um, to, to put it lightly, with the whole Angela situation, but they have developed a very real friendship over time. And now, even though Dwight expressed zero interest in coming to see this performance he was convinced to come by angela and dwight really does enjoy it i I think that's so special to see dwight just sort of change his mind about the whole experience and be really proud of andy and proud to work with the guy on stage even if he's not good at his job (laughs) but just speaking of dwight and angela angela wanted dwight to bring her to the play so that they could then punch off another hole on the card <laughs> afterwards. And uh, weirdly, that's a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. Angela plays Dwight pretty well. Dwight has a talking head at the start of the episode saying, yeah, Angela, not into her anymore, but we are obligated to have sex five times. That's basically the extent of my relationship with her now. Angela, on the other hand, says, well, if he were to develop feelings for me after or during our five contractually obligated times of procreation that would be acceptable contractually under the under a clause in the contract and also i would be okay with it too so angela over the course of the episode stages getting gum on her work clothes so that she then has to change into clothes that are more fitting for dwight she's got like a nice button-up work blouse jeans and she's looking kind of rugged but still pretty attractive and Dwight is clearly wooed by her a little bit but then just as things are about to get hot and heavy she cuts it off and right when Dwight was starting to want her so she's playing her cards and I don't want to dwell on that too much because that's my discussion topic um right there at the end with uh with Dwight and Angela so after the show everyone sticks around goes to the cast party Nope, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. It's hard to 
talk about one character at a time because this episode, everyone kind of, their, yeah. their storylines cross a lot here. So let's talk a bit more about um, Jim and Pam. So Aaron babysat for Jim and Pam. So they're at the show. Aaron and Cece are at home until they call it intermission. They call Aaron to check in, make sure everything's okay. Um, they thank her for staying. They're having a great time. We'll see you after the show. So Aaron, convinced by this phone call that they're having such a wonderful time, she needs to be there. So she brings Cece to act two and Cece starts crying. And we, we Jim and Pam, see Cece in the back with Aaron. And that's not what you were supposed to do. You're supposed to be at home with the baby. That's the whole point. So they get kind of peeved and they take Cece and they go home. Aaron now gets to watch, you know, the last bit of the show and stick around for the cast party. So finally, Andy gets to see Aaron. Uh, she missed the vast majority of the show, but he's really excited to spend a bit of one-on-one time with her after the show. I wanted to linger on just for just a second. Jim honestly gets really angry at Aaron. Office Quotes doesn't even have the whole quote that was in the episode, but he says something like, really, all you had to do was play with her for like 30 minutes and then put her to bed. And this is the part that was left off. I think I heard him say, we heard, we were kind of hoping you'd put her to bed and then not touch her again. So like, yeah. Jim is like, no, stay away. You were not supposed to be here. You were supposed to put her to bed and then just like watch TV on the couch. And that's all we expected from you. He's pretty, pretty upset, which is surprising for Jim, but I, I get it a little bit. <laughs> and. Erin just was completely clueless. She said, well, you left me the car seat. So I thought, you know, we'd come to the show, grab some ice cream. Keep in mind, Cece's like, what, six or eight months old? Like, yeah, maybe. Very I mean, that's young. what the baby, the baby actress, anyway, that's what she looked like. <laughs> she was so confused by the fact that they would leave a car seat. Jim says, well, we left you a car seat in case you need to go to the hospital. And she just was not getting that. Why would I take her to the hospital? Why would I take her to the hospital? <laughs> not for fun, Erin. You know, for an emergency. So there's this cast party after, and Aaron and Andy get to spend quite a bit of one-on-one time together. In fact, the majority of what we see is spent alone. Aaron, it appears, is, she's being friendly, she's, she's laughing at his jokes, she's, you know, bubbly and kind anyway, and so she misses their friendship. They're romantically fake-killing each other. Exactly. Andy <laughs> is flirting hard. But Aaron is friendly, and, and it looks like it's mostly just, she's missing it, you know? So when... Aaron gets a phone call from Gabe, and she's all happy to hear from him, um, and she has to go because it's time to see Gabe. That completely kills Andy's mood. It's a bummer for him, uh, especially when they were having such a good time. It was just as relaxed as when they were dating for however brief a period. Things are finally back to somewhat normal for them, which is good because there was that strain for a bit. And now Andy is left alone. He's on stage by himself. But the rest of the office shows up. Again, this is special. They all show up. They come to comfort him. They come to congratulate him. Andy's feeling down about himself and his performance because there were some incidents that I'm sure we'll talk about in the funny moments. <laughs> but Michaels tells him, hey, I have no filter. And if you were being not that great, then I would tell you that. If you were better than what I'm saying now, I would be saying nicer things. But I thought you were nothing less than awesome. And Stanley compliments him. Phyllis compliments him. Dwight obviously enjoyed himself. Everybody is so complimentary of Andy and they encourage him to even sing another song for them. So this is everybody seeing that Andy's in a place of hurt and encouraging him. But also I think 
I don't think they're just doing it to make him feel better. I think they're honestly expressing their appreciation for his talents and skills in that moment. And so it's really sweet when they're not asking Andy to perform to make himself feel better. They're asking to hear Andy perform because they just want to hear him perform, which is another Mm. way of making him feel better, if that makes sense. And I thought it was sweet and important that Michael led this sort of congratulations to Andy, um, given his experience at the theater that day uh, was less than remarkable. He felt pretty bitter the entire time and even booed the man that played the lead at the end of the show. I mean, he was just sour the whole time. And so it was nice to see that he wasn't bitter towards Andy. He he held his his esteem for Andy, even if it wasn't held for the show. And the song that Andy chooses to sing for everybody is telling as well. It's titled I Try. It's by Macy Gray. Uh, Daryl Company's on piano. And like I, I looked up the lyrics just to see where is this coming from? And there's an earlier lyric from the chorus, which is what he sings. It says, we should be together, babe, but we're not. I play it off, but I'm dreaming of you. So Andy's head is in a really obvious place right now. We'll see what happens as far as that goes. But we also see in the audience, Dwight walks back in after being sort of rebuffed by Angela, after he was actually kind of excited to be with her. Uh, and he's trying to sing along as well. He's looking depressed in the audience because he didn't get what he wanted after all. But everybody is enjoying each other's company. There's, it, it, it reminds me of, of course it does, the lyric in Piano Man. Uh, where they, it, it's better than drinking alone. Here's everybody, not everybody's upset, obviously, but there are a few and they're, they're together in solidarity and uh, comforting each other by just being around each other. And yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Any other particular character moments? There was one small thing. Daryl, at the start of the play, uh, he shushes Michael right as the music's about to start. He says, if we don't listen to the overture, we won't recognize the musical themes when they come back later. And I just was like, that's lovely. Having Daryl with like this, this background in musical theater and this prior knowledge as to what this experience is going to be like, like he's invested. Like this is a guy who knows if I pay attention from the start, I'm going to be rewarded for it later. And that's a lesson <laughs> for all of you out there, everybody who wants to get into musical theater, listen, because things come back. And it's really cool. Things come back. I have that in funny moments because it just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> and he's take it. He takes it so seriously. Yeah. And he's like, no. Yeah. People, you know, people freaking talk during the overture. I'm like, no, this is important. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl knows. He knows. Uh, well, there's lots of smaller things that we could talk about as we get to them in the funny moments. So let's go ahead and transfer into that. Starting with the cold open, as you mentioned, the entire cast of Sweeney comes in and does a viral marketing performance thing in the office. Um, And the first funny moment from that cold open is Erin, so impressed with this thing that's happening. And she says, did you write this? She says that to Andy. (laughs) Andy says, no. Erin asks who? And Andy just says, Stephen Sondheim. Who's that? (laughs) It's like, it's okay if you don't know, but like, Andy definitely did not write that. He clearly did not write that. (laughs) Clearly. Uh, By the way, my senior year of high school, we did a musical-inspired final concert that year, and we sang the bow to Sweeney Todd, which was fun. Uh, So that was my first experience with Sweeney Todd. Sweeney. Uh, I saw it in New York. You know this. Um, I saw it uh, several months ago. The production here Mm -hmm. was, oh my gosh, it was so good. It was, anyway, it was like, it was one of the best pieces of theater I've seen ever. It was. That's so cool. Really good. I've seen parts of the movie. I haven't seen the entire thing. It was 
amazing. That's awesome. Uh, there were a couple other moments from the the cold open that really made me laugh. Uh, Angela's, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like everybody's so confused. Uh, Andy was trying to make this sort of a treat. He he said it's viral marketing, uh, and everybody's just sort of caught off guard and not necessarily delighted. Uh, because then when everybody in the cast starts brandishing their fake razors and waving them around, Dwight like brings out this large Bowie knife or Bowie knife <laughs> and is like ready. He's on the prowl. He's on the attack. Like okay. This is not a situation that I want to be a part of. It was enough when the first cast member came and started singing with Andy, but then everybody comes in and they all have fake razor blades and he is on edge. I love that Dwight, when he pulls out the knife, knife, that came out Australian. Knife. I don't know. That's not a knife. Pu- That's not a knife. <laughs> when he pulls out the knife, um, he's backing away slowly. Like he doesn't want to attack, but he's also kind of afraid. And <laughs> There's so many of them. He's very confused. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the Michael, I auditioned for this bit that you mentioned earlier. And uh, to add on to that, he says, when did the cast list go up? They didn't call me. Who am I playing? No one. And don't make them answer that question. You're no. clearly not playing anyone. They're in costume. They've got makeup on. They know all the music. It's yeah. clearly, you don't know it, so you're not in the cast. <laughs> Michael shows up to the musical with a bunch of balloons. He says, I'm being the bigger man and balloons are bigger than flowers. Logical. And then later, as he's sitting in the, or trying to sit in the audience, he's stuffing the balloons between his knees and those seat in front of him. He's like, you'd think they'd discourage people from bringing balloons. Yeah, (laughs) I think they would, Michael. It's not a good idea. We learn from a stranger, probably someone who works at the theater, that Michael did an entire Law and Order episode for his audition. Um, and lucky us, at the end of the episode, we get to see clips from it. It was incredible. It included the uh, clong clong uh, sound effect, which he does much better than I do. He does voices. It's just incredible. It's I am so a funny. cleaning lady. <laughs> oh. It's a, it's a great little treat for us there at the end. I really want to see the whole thing. Oh, that would be wonderful. I wonder how much more of that they may be filmed. I, I, I want, I I'm excited to see the bloopers for the season, see if any of that yeah. made it in. And I wonder if it was a real episode of SVU. Oh, that would be an answer that I bet people, <laughs> a, a question that have. I bet people have answered before. I wouldn't know the answer, but that, that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Let's see. Andy, at the start of the episode, he tells us his plan in a talking head. He says, my plan is to make Aaron fall back in love with me tonight. Women cannot resist a man singing show tunes. It's so powerful. Even a lot of men can't resist a man singing (laughs) show tunes. Yeah. Okay. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely lives up to a certain stereotype. Yes, it does. (laughs) Um, The bit you were alluding to earlier with uh things not going on stage how andy hoped they they would so andy forgot to turn off his cell phone and he has his phone on him on stage which is just like not a good idea um and his phone rings twice in the middle of a scene the man playing sweeney who we should have mentioned michael is upset at this man because it's his first he wasn't he didn't even audition Mm -hmm. he was at karaoke and the director kind of found him and brought him in for the role. He had never done a play before. Yeah, he's a plumber. <laughs> yeah, he's a plumber. He's Daryl's plumber. And so Andy, sorry, Michael was so frustrated that this nobody, as if Michael is a somebody, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. the world of music theater, um, 
was cast over him. But anyway, uh, the man playing Sweeney makes a joke in character um, like a pro, you know, kind of rolls with it, says, ah, there's a bird fluttering about. I hope it ceases chirping. The <laughs> audience laughs and Andy thinks he turns it off, but then he gets another notification and he turns it off for real. And then he says, good, it's off. I mean, silenced. I, I silenced it by killing it and I've, I've killed it. I'm a murderer. Just like you, Sweeney Todd. See, it all connects. Not that I know you're a murderer. My character doesn't know that yet, but I'm <laughs> suspicious because of all the razors. But you're a barber, so that checks out. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> He spirals and um, is completely off book and kind of ruins the whole show. (laughs) My high school theater director would have murdered us if we had been Mm. caught with our phones or anything that was not in character on stage. So that meant jewelry, watches, phones, anything that your character would not have on their person, you should not have on your person. And so it's, it's, it's awful in that respect. Right after that, though, is when Michael adds his contribution to the performance. He has snuck a bottle of wine away from the concessions during intermission. And after it is finished and passed around the, the other people from the office, he sets it down and knocks it over. And it rolls all the way down the auditorium and clinking all the way. And at the same time, he also drops his balloons and they flutter to the ceiling. And after the bottle has finished clinking around and they finally try and get back into the swing of things on stage, the balloons start popping. And so there's another interruption. And right after that is when CC starts crying. So it's interruption after interruption. People use the word cringeworthy or cringy on the office or when talking about the office all the time. That like five minute chunk is super cringy. I, I, I prefer the term anxiety-inducing because it was just like, oh, ah, gosh, yes. no, because I, I know that experience. Both of us do because we've mm-hmm. been on stage. I've seen you perform Sondheim on stage. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not Sweeney, no. uh, but still, still Sondheim. Mm-hmm. Dwight, speaking of, of music theater, um, admits at the beginning of the episode that he doesn't want to go to Andy's show. The last time he was in a theater, a man dressed as a cat sat on his lap. <laughs> I, I hope he saw cats. <laughs> I would hope Otherwise, so. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> I mean, it's weird anyway. Yeah. Not a lot of people love cats, but that's that that was a bold statement. If you love cats, I'm really sorry. I'm talking about the musical here, right. of course. Um, <laughs> but it is known for having, you know, actors dressed as cats yeah. walking around in the aisles, kind of creeping on the audience members that apparently scarred Dwight. Apparently. He, he was not a fan and did not want any more theater experience because of it. At the start of the performance, the usher, one of the ushers comes up to Jim and Pam, says, I think you're sitting in the wrong seat. And before she even gets that full statement out, Jim's just like, yep, yep. And they both stand up and they walk back to their seats, which are right next to Michael and his balloons. So understandable why they tried to move, but yeah. they did not get away with it. They had to sit next to Michael after all. A great moment from the episode. We do get a Creed line here. He's <laughs> at intermission, I believe, and he's talking on a cell phone. Some kind of reporter, I guess. He says, unfortunately, in this ham-fisted production of Sweetie Todd, the real terror comes from the vocal performances. New paragraph. And he reminds me of like a 1920s, like he should have a cigar. and mm-hmm. a, <laughs> ah, Hot off the presses. Like he's just... <laughs> He, I, I don't know who he's talking to. I was speculating, is it for a publication of some kind? Is it for Creed Thoughts? Is it for his Twitter mm. audience that we now know he has in some capacity? Who knows? Possibly. But <laughs> what, what brings that scene home for me is 
later after the show when Michael is talking with the guy who played Sweeney and he has that confrontation. Oh, you were the one who booed me. Oh, I didn't boo you. There were a lot of people booing and I wasn't one of them. Blah, blah, blah. Creed walks up and says, be cool, Michael. I saw this guy kill a bunch of people. (laughs) And so I'm confused. Does Creed know this is a play? On some level, he seems to. But on the other level, he seems not to. Is he... You know what I mean? Mm. Like he, yeah, he's writing the review, but then he thinks that he's a real killer. I wonder if he has like moments of lucidity. Lucidity. <laughs> oh <hey>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or he just kind of drifts in and out of of reality. I guess, or maybe he thought that this play was just like a moment of reality captured on stage. Ah, possibly. Mm. That's a good idea for art uh, mixed yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> one more little Andy one. After Aaron is found at the back of the auditorium with Cece, Andy says so excitedly, he says, that's really irresponsible of Aaron. She's a terrible babysitter. And he says it with just this big, huge grin on his face. Like, he doesn't care <laughs> that yeah. she's a bad babysitter. He's just so excited to see her. Yeah, it's cute. I mean, he, he still obviously yeah. cares a lot about her. So he's, he's excited. That's good. Uh, I had just a couple last ones, and they all involve Stanley. He, fell, he falls asleep, which... You could say we probably expected, but maybe not during the overture. I don't think <laughs> we expected he'd fall asleep during the opening number. Uh, he is there with Cynthia, by the way. And then at the very end, he gives this, the camera a look as everybody around him stands uh, for the standing <laughs> ovation. Like, oh, great. I had to stand up. And so he's the last one to stand for the standing ovation. And it's funny because we get more of that specifically in the deleted scenes. Yes, which we should move into now. Let's start with that one just because we talked about it just now. So in a talking head, Stanley says that he doesn't expect to give a standing ovation. He's tired of having to stand at the end of a show, even when it's not that good. And he says, do you hear me, Steve Harvey? So I really want to know what his experience was with Steve Harvey. Um, Apparently he was forced into some standing ovation situation that he did not feel comfortable with. Although I kind of have to. This is going to be a little sassy and a little bitter, but I have to agree with him. Standing ovations are for extra special occasions. Yep. Not for everything. I I completely (laughs) agree. I was going to say something too, but you beat me to it. Uh, Every year there's a music educators conference in Texas uh, and there are loads and loads and loads of concerts. And it seems that every single one of them, everybody stands up at the very end and gives a standing ovation, which I mean, I get it. These kids worked really hard. Some of them traveled really far to perform here, but not every concert is that great. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> uh, every play I've seen, every show I've seen, even if it wasn't good, and I'm not talking Broadway here, I'm talking like, you know, <laughs> low-level stuff, uh, standing ovations. Like, guys, this is a little excessive. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, now that we sound like snobs. Let's move on. I know. I'm sorry. Anyway. The the very first deleted scene, Andy has a talking head. He says, you know, I'm hoping that the sort of crowd effect of Aaron seeing me on stage will help her to overcome any maybe sort of misgivings she may have. And it says something about his own self-esteem here, too. He says when he's in a concert with 20,000 people, he has a great time. But if he sees Justin Bieber, for example, alone in a museum, he kind of just wants to punch him in the face. And so he's maybe picturing in his mind that Aunt, or that Aaron just sort of wants to punch him in the face. But if she sees him on stage in a crowd with everybody else around her, 
then she'll overcome that desire to punch him and want to date him instead, is what he's sort of insinuating with that. That's a pretty astute observation on his end, that like the crowd mentality of, of I don't know, mm-hmm. you, you, a crowd hypes you up, whereas mm-hmm. one-on-one, they might not be that special. It's a good yeah. observation. Um, Gabe isn't worried about Aaron seeing Andy's play, because in the third grade, Gabe played Ichabod Crane in his school's production of Sleepy Hollow. In fact, they picked the play just so he could play that role. Mm. Seventh grade, he played the same role. Eleventh grade, he played Abraham Lincoln. And then in college, Ichabod Crane again. So he's quite the actor himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. He doesn't, think, or he, he doesn't think that Aaron will be too overwhelmed by Andy's uh, stardom. Yeah, he, he's, she's got, I think he puts it, the actor fix in her life already. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Jim and Pam, this is like a series of talking heads where everybody's talking about their desire or lack of desire to see the play. Jim and Pam say, you know, we actually love musical theater. That's not the issue. Jim says, yeah, we once saw a vending machine at a carnival that was singing Send in the Clowns for half an hour. And we just like were entranced. Pam says, the thing about Stephen Sondheim is even poorly performed. Sondheim is great, Stephen Sondheim. I kind of agree a little bit. But Sondheim is also really, really hard. And so I wouldn't agree that it really always hard. sounds good, even if it's awful. But they go on to say, uh, we, we can't find a sitter. They're not going to pay some random teenage girl to fix the water heater. So they're definitely not going to pay some random teenage girl to try and keep their child alive for a night. <laughs> and That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Pam goes on this little mini rant. She says, there's no good teenagers left out there. Pot is too easy to get. You just go to the doctor, say you have a headache, and boom, weed for a year. And Jim is concerned that Pam seems to know how easy it is to get weed. <laughs> <laughs> Michael is ordering a bouquet for Andy for closing night. Um, he wants one that will say that I'm being the better man, but to have fun, etc. Um, he wants 20 roses, which is roses are very expensive. Like a dozen roses is expensive. So 20 some orchids. And since the florist doesn't have Venus flytraps, just throw in some baby's breasts you heard that correctly <laughs> his total is 112 dollars plus a 32 dollar delivery fee um he fakes uh the line being cut off he's uh, not oh, about to send hello hello <laughs> uh oops <laughs> he, he tells her right before he hangs up the call wow they're flowers right they're basically just leaves <laughs> yeah sure yeah sure you're you're trying to hand andy leaves a couple of Kevin scenes that sort of explain, the, the second one explains the first a little bit. We see during intermission, Kevin goes up and buys a Sweeney Todd jacket that has his name embroidered on the, the breast, on the, the left breast. And Oscar's like, why would you do that? Kevin just sort of like, I, I was cold, but it, it's, it's not a believable excuse. Obviously, there's something beyond him just being cold that led to him buying this jacket. A later deleted scene shows him hugging one of the cast members and she introduces him as her brother. So we meet Kevin's sister who performed in the play with Andy and she says, yeah, he, you went to every performance. You normally don't come to any of them. So what's the change? And he responds with, we need to put mom in a home. And she just like <laughs> gets wide eyed, shocked look on her face. Uh, so he came to every performance of Sweeney Todd just to finally on the last night say, we need to put mob in a home. Like what that deleted scene it. made me like 
a sound came out of me. I was like, uh, <laughs> like what? <laughs> Why would you do that? So that's very unexpected. Very unexpected. And that sort of explains why Kevin felt so attached to the show uh, to the point of buying a jacket. Andy is very upset that Aaron's not coming, uh, so much so that he's considering going home. The director tries to give him a little pep talk, says, you know, use this, use these emotions, whatever. <laughs> and Andy says, I don't know that I can do it. I think I just want to go home. I guess, assuming that they would just cancel the show. Uh, so the director says, okay, go home. Conrad can do your part. All of a sudden, Andy's okay. He's going to push through. <laughs> he's going to use it. He says, use it. He's going to use it. <laughs> Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, is hanging out with Stanley and Cynthia outside the restroom, and Phyllis walks out. Bob says, oh, there you are. We thought you fell in. Ha, ha, ha. And he and Cynthia laugh together. And Phyllis has a talking head saying, uh, I see that they're getting along. I wasn't sure they'd get along because Bob has strong moral convictions and Cynthia is a home-wrecking slut. Ooh, strong words, Phyllis. And then later, uh, Phyllis is watching from afar with Kelly. And she has brought up this idea that maybe Bob is falling for Cynthia. And Kelly says, you know, it's too gross for me to just contemplate seriously. Okay, Kelly, whatever. You've never had any qualms with that sort of thing before. But then they see Bob and Cynthia bump their phones together, like they're bumping together champagne glasses or something for a toast. And Kelly says, I can't watch this and walks off. And Phyllis just like angrily finishes her drink. She's pretty upset with Bob. Vance, Vance, refrigeration about this. <laughs> Andy gets a fruit basket delivered to him uh, in the dressing room. He's so excited until he remembers that he sent it to himself. He tosses the basket and immediately. A stagehand comes by later and takes it out of the trash. And then we see that that's actually what they're eating at the cast party. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he must have put it out. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was wrapped, so there's nothing too gross about it. It's just funny that. He yeah. repurposed it. <laughs> we can use this. Aaron keeps texting Pam as Cece, like, oh, I have the best babysitter, blah, blah, blah. And then asks if she should go to bed in the yellow or the purple onesie. And Jim is upset by this. How did she even find the purple onesie? She, <laughs> uh, he, he clearly doesn't like the purple onesie for his daughter. And he's, he's sort of fuming over this. Oscar steps over and says he's been looking at the stuff on the wall. And he says, hey, hey, Jim, they adapted the Bourne identity for the stage. And Jim's like, oh, yeah, that's great. And then he, he goes on, I can't believe the purple onesie. Blah, blah, blah. Pam says, I'm wearing purple. <laughs> and he says, well, it looks good on you. <laughs> but there's something about the purple onesie. He, yeah. he just doesn't like on Cece. I don't know. And then one last little bit. Those were all the deleted scenes. But um, since you mentioned Oscar looking at the productions on the wall, he um, in the scene with Kevin and the jacket, finds what he calls a winning production, sarcastically, uh, an all-white production of The Wiz, which The Wiz, if you don't know, is an all-African-American cast of The Wizard of Oz. Um, no. Specifically, not white. Um, and they did mm -hmm. an all-white production, which is not the point. So, <laughs> and plus, it just sounds awful. Like, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. Maybe. It's... it's <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It, it's a bad idea. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. No. <laughs> and last thing I wanted to mention, it's not a deleted scene, but when Andy was getting comforted, uh, a castmate said, would it help if we played Zip Zap Zop? I was like, I played that game when I was in high school theater. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do it. Such a theater joke. <laughs> I loved that. So that was so good. great. 
So funny. And one of those things that like, I don't know if the general audience would, would get that. So you'll have to let us know. Um, unless you spent any time in high school theater or beyond. Um, yeah. You're all friends of Zip Zap Zap. Well, so our discussion topic today, as I alluded to earlier, what was Angela doing by declining sex with Dwight? I mean, trying to make him like her more? Did it work? What was her thought process there? I I don't know if I always thought this way. Uh, I think maybe when I was watching The Office more casually that Angela was, I don't know what I thought she was doing. I, I don't know. I just, I didn't put as much thought into it before as I did tonight. Tonight, what I think is she was definitely trying to lead him on and build up the anticipation to make her or to make him want her. And I don't think, like, like I said, I just don't think I thought that before watching it for this episode. It was just like, a, oh, maybe she just doesn't feel in the mood. Maybe, I don't know what it is. Maybe Dwight said something or did something that put her out of it. And so she, she doesn't want to do it anymore. But tonight, I definitely think that she was building up the anticipation uh, because she sees that Dwight's not into her. She sees uh, that Dwight has his attention elsewhere. And this was her effort to try and flip that back on her. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was one of those things where she finally caught his attention. He was interested in having sex with her. Um, mm -hmm. And then she denied him, which I guess, and, and she punched the punch card. She says, we'll count this. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to do that. He says, no, we're obligated. We're contractually obligated. She says, it's fine. Just, just punch it. So I think, I think you're right. I think she's trying to build anticipation for the next time that they're supposed to fulfill the contract. So hopefully he would see her in a different light and want her more. I, it's a game for her, definitely. She's, she's plotting something. Bonus discussion topic, just something I was sort of wondering. Michael, why do you think he's so upset? Obviously, we know why he's upset about the plumber being cast in a lead role. But like initially, what is it that he's thinking that has him so bitter about everything? He, he says at one point, I put everything I had into that audition. But even after intermission, when the director approaches him and saying, hey, if you keep uh, auditioning with a similar gusto, then we will find a production with a role for Michael Scott. Like he's encouraging him. But then that's when he sneaks the wine bottle and the, the second act stuff nonsense happens. So like, w what do you think Michael's thought process is here? I mean, we know his life isn't great right now. The only thing I can think is really that he needed like he was in a place in his life where he needed something besides work mm -hmm. to do and that this would have been that outlet for him. Plus we know he fancies himself, you know, theatrical and creative. And so I think he just thought that he would definitely get a spot. And again, I'm sure you have been in the same situation as me where, Oh, I'll definitely get this, this part. Absolutely. Uh, or <laughs> they'll, you know, they'll, they'll put me in the show. Uh, and then they didn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's hard not to be a little bit better. So I think that's just, um, Michael is, Zero percent or a hundred percent. He's he's all or nothing, and I think he was just very very upset by by their decision. Plus, on top of his life not being where he hopes it would would be right now. That reminds me of a moment that we didn't say before uh, when they approach Andy after the show and after Aaron has left to try and comfort him. Michael asks, "Hey, what's got you down? Is it the the post show blues?" And Andy says, "I guess you could call it that." Michael says, "That's what I get every day after work." 
And yeah. I, I, that plays right into what you're saying is that he leaves work and he hangs up his coat and his hat and he's at home and he's by himself because there is nobody else. And all of his friends, all of his, quote, family is at work. And so I, I think that, that that's true. I think that he was just he was hoping for something extra. He thinks he's better at performing and at improv and all that kind of stuff than he actually is. And yeah, he just assumed that he would get a role and he did not, unfortunately. But if he continues to audition with full episodes of Law and Order, <laughs> maybe you someday. Oh, what a theater that would take that as an audition. Like, <laughs> I that's just amazing. Oh, my gosh. What, how, like, inside joke would it be if one day he was on an episode of, like, SVU or something? Like, Steve Carell. Like, how great would that be? That would be so funny. I would watch that so hard. <laughs> I would be there for that 100%. All right. That brings us to the end of our official 69th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplace pod or at workplace pod on Twitter. If you care to rate, review, and subscribe and or subscribe, you can do that at Apple Podcasts. And you can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And if you haven't already, make sure to tweet congratulations over at Katie. Because uh, <laughs> she's engaged. Thanks. Yay. Uh, <laughs> I've learned that a huge part of being engaged so far is just being on your phone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's all day yesterday. We were just texting people. It was it was nuts. Yeah. It's, it's a big piece of news to drop. That's awesome. It is. It is. Uh, the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. I don't use it much, but it is facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And then there's my other podcast, Cinescope, and you can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And all show notes and contact information for this show, all the stuff we just talked over, you can find that at workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 69 of an American workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 70 for our discussion on the next episode of season seven, Sex Ed. Bye. Bye. Michael's like, well, what, what role, what, uh.